0: Good morning everybody. Great to be back with you. I was here a few weeks ago. My name is Eric Smith. Thank you for your prayers, Jay. Um, I'm excited to get back into the book of Philippians with you as we work through that together. Uh, Kind of a team approach here, which I I always like. I like when we hear multiple voices preaching through. There's just different things, different things the Lord's doing in each of us and different things that probably get emphasized. Today we're in Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to we're going to finish up chapter 2. We're in uh, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, Philippians 2, 19 through the end of the chapter. There's three things that I think the Lord has in store for us in this passage, and I want to put those out in front of us, and then I'm going to read the passage, and, and uh, I think you'll see those things come out. The first thing that this passage is going to put right in front of us is this idea of character, character, good. Character. The next thing, uh, and this one I'll, I'll, I'll show you as we work through it where you'll find it, but the second thing is worship, and the third thing is missions. Character, worship, and missions. Those are going to be the, the main places that the Lord has in store for us as we work through this passage and, uh, and, and see how the Lord wants to more and more conform us to the likeness of His Son as we, uh, as we walk with Him, and more importantly, as He walks with with us. Listen as I read, starting in Philippians 2 verse 19, I'll read through the end of the chapter. This is from the English Standard Version. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth." How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Father, we, we know you are here and we just turn our thoughts again and just ask. Use this time, all of it. Continue to use the songs and now your word and, and our, our look at it And my words with them as we expound and explain and analyze ourselves, Father, open the eyes of our hearts that we'd know you more and more. And with all spiritual wisdom, we'd know the way that you want us to apply this passage to our lives. So have your way with us, we ask, please, in Jesus' name, which is above all others. Amen. Paul has two gentlemen here that he lifts up highly, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he's telling them, the Philippians, I'm going to send Timothy to you really soon, and I'm sending Epaphroditus to you now. And of course, they don't know that until they get this letter, probably delivered by Epaphroditus. Let's unpack the passage here just a little bit, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get back into those three, three words that I think are, are really key to the passage uh, that Paul has and and they flow from where Paul has already taken uh, the Philippians and all of us since then who have read this beautiful letter that he wrote to his brothers and sisters and ours many years ago. Paul has this traveling companion named Timothy that he picked up early on in his ministry. Timothy has proven to be uh, a, a wonderful addition, and as Paul says, he's like a son. To me. Now, in, in our times, that, that may, have, may have some image for us, but it has a really significant image as Paul is sitting down and writing, Timothy is like a son to me. Because in the ancient world, the son would almost always do what the father does vocationally. There, there, there were not as many educational options. Uh, there wasn't the knowledge of all of these things. There was not quite the ease of movement and, and uh, travel and, and access to information that we have now since the Industrial Revolution. The son would do what his father does, and this works out well in a sense because the son can see the father and in those times usually would see the father doing his craft, farming, metalworking, as a tradesman, interacting with others. He would bring his son along or sons along. Timothy is one of those who goes a different route. He doesn't do what his father did as a trade, whatever that was. He, at some young age, we don't know when, but we know when Paul writes to Timothy, He says, Timothy, don't let people look down on you for your youth. So here, both of these men are further along in their gospel ministry, and he's still telling Timothy, don't let people look down upon you for your youth, but be an example to them in all of your character, in how you live your life, in the disciplines, in your prayers, in your word, in your love, in all the work of the Spirit, and his fruit that he bears. Timothy has come along with Paul and is being trained by Paul. And here, as well as glimpses that we see in the book of Acts, Timothy becomes, we might say, Paul's right-hand man in some ways. There are multiple times in the book of Acts that Paul sends Timothy to another church, a church that has already started. I wonder if Timothy maybe wasn't quite the, 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 uh, the one to pave the new trail, blaze the trail, as we might say. If we look back at, at, uh, at Acts chapter 16, where Paul entered, Paul and his team enter Philippi, And are beginning to find who is the Lord working on? Who can we share the good news of Jesus with? And where is the Holy Spirit at work? Who is going to respond to that message? And we know that Lydia, uh, who deals in in purple cloth and that sort of thing, who's, who's Jewish, responds well. We see, unexpectedly, the Philippian jailer responds to the message of Jesus and to the gospel. It's Paul and Silas who seem to be the ones who are gifted at doing that kind of work. And we don't read anything about Timothy until two towns later when we find out he also is part of this group that has gone into Philippi, then that went, moved on and went to Thessalonica, and then they all got chased out of Thessalonica, and they went to Berea. And it's there that we read that Timothy is a part of it. Timothy seems to be the one who sent back to minister on Paul's behalf, certainly on Jesus' behalf, to churches that have already begun. What an interesting life, what an interesting man, and you'll get to say hi to him sometime. We can hear all about his journeys and what they were really like. For now, we get glimpses and pieces of it, but Paul speaks highly of him. I think the Philippians knew about this because of what I just said. He was a traveling companion with Paul. He's mentioned in the letter here, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 1. They know Timothy. They knew his proven worth. They got to see it they probably saw his servant's heart. They probably got to hear him minister and, and, and expound on, on, on who Jesus is and maybe share what Jesus had done in other towns and other places and how the Spirit was at work and for the Philippian church to be encouraged as these brand new believers were trying to conform their lives as they learned more about who Jesus is. But we get these kind of troubling words that, that I wish... May, uh maybe i wish there was more here maybe i'm glad there isn't i don't know for i have no one like him who will be genuinely genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all seek their own interests not those of jesus christ ah there are some believers also around here paul is i think paul's in rome i think he's either on under house arrest or he's in a prison we know he was under house arrest as he was awaiting his trial uh, before Caesar. And, and, and so he, he, his mobility was very limited. So he people are coming to him and they can do that and, and he can send people out and all of that. But Paul is stuck in one spot. He's writing to the Philippians. I think he's there in Rome. I think he's probably interacting with Christians and followers in the Roman church. And, and he has some of his own traveling companions and, and whoever it is, He's just not finding anyone who's willing to sacrifice and go to Philippi on his behalf. Now, it's no small sacrifice. It's not like, all right, hold on a second, Paul. Let me see how much plane tickets are. Ah, looks like I can catch one in about a week, you know, about 150 bucks one way. Do we have that? No? All right, well, let's see what we can do. It was a 40 day walk. I don't know if you've ever thought about walking from Italy to Greece. Is anybody ever like, hey, I just think about a vacation. You, you wanna walk from Rome? Let's go to Rome and then let's just walk over to Philippi. 40 days, one way. Uh, He could have taken a boat That probably would have shortened a little bit of time Um, Paul certainly did that They did that as they traveled about And and so that, that could be an option But the standard way to get around was by foot And so the request of Timothy was Here you go Here's a few dollars Here's a sandwich Well Paul wouldn't have had that probably to give out But I really need you to go to Philippi and encourage them. Spend some time with them. Build them up. And then I want you to come back and tell me how they're doing. And I'll just, I'll probably be here waiting for you. 40-day walk. Wake up. Walk. Try to find a place to sleep. Wake up. Walk. Try to find a place to sleep. The end of the day, wake up. Walk. 40 days. It's a big ask that he's asking, and you can see the sacrifice, and so it just seems like even just pragmatically that there would be people who are like, Paul, I can't, I can't be gone for not, not just 80 days. That's if all goes well. That's if I'm healthy. That's if I make it. I don't get waylaid or something, but, not, but then to spend time there, I mean, you're looking at more than three months being gone. That was the world they live in. It's different than our own. But it, it, it's troubling, isn't it, that, that there's those who, who seem to be focused on their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. That Paul felt like there were some who were saying, well, no, no I, I have better things I need to do. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what all is going in behind, and and every scholar, you know, says the same. But we don't know who these people are. We know from the beginning of the book there are some who are preaching the gospel out of love for Jesus and support of Paul, and there are some who are preaching the gospel to kind of spite Paul and to make things worse for him in prison. Maybe, maybe it's some of those, but he doesn't bring that back up. But the emphasis then comes back to Timothy. As Paul writes this letter, he is again commending his son, so to speak, to the Philippian church. And I think he's doing that on purpose, and that is something that we can look at, because again, you know the example that came just before this in our passage. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. There's no accident here that Paul puts Jesus, of course, front and center in front of the Philippian church and says, be like him, be like him. And now he's got two men that he wants to show the Philippian church and says, I'm so proud of these men. I'm proud of Timothy for his willingness for me to send him on in all sorts of ways. And Timothy's willingness to get up and go Timothy was one, Epaphroditus was the other one in this passage. And his thing with Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus came from Philippi, made that journey to Paul, and brought with him a gift. We're going to look at that before we we wrap up, but in chapter 4 of this, we, we know that he brought a financial gift so that Paul had some resources while he was in prison. This is how you take care of people in prison in the ancient world, is you bring things to them so that they can buy some food, so that they can care for themselves, because very often that wasn't provided for them. So because he was there, because, not because of his wrongdoing, but because of the gospel, they wanted to support him, they wanted to support the work he was doing, and Epaphroditus was their messenger on their behalf. Epaphroditus somehow gets, gets ill. Uh, there's a couple ideas. One thing was he made this 40-day journey, and when he got there, after that 40-day journey, he entered into the ministry with Paul, and between the journey and the ministry, he just maybe exhausted himself, came up with some disease, maybe that he wasn't used to. We don't know how much he traveled. This is the only place he shows up in the Scriptures. Maybe he got sick along the way. But no matter what the reason or where Epaphroditus got sick, what Paul saw was someone who was willing to complete what he started. Maybe, I, maybe he got sick along the way, and yet he continued to work and move and get the gift from the church of Philippi to Paul. And Paul is like, this is a man worthy of your honor. Because, and then and I think Paul maybe inserts this, because maybe Epaphroditus is like some of you. He'd go back and be like, I, I, gotta, I, I got the cold. It's no big deal. Paul's like, he almost died. That's, you just need to know that. You just need to know Epaphroditus almost died because of this. Because it, it, it was him, not, not just happened to get sick, but in his efforts to do church of Philippi, what you sent him to do, he did it. And he grew ill. And an interesting thing here, we see Paul's passion, his compassion come out here because there's, there's this whole mix of emotions. Epaphroditus got sick, and the Philippian church heard about it. They all know that. Paul, Epaphroditus, they know that. And maybe he got sick on the way, and he sent a message to somebody who was then going back towards Philippi. Maybe that's how we don't know all of those details. But the church of Philippi knows that he's sick, and, he, and, and they know they're going to be concerned because they're not going to hear that he's well until Epaphroditus shows back up. So they're concerned about the church. That makes Epaphroditus worried, we find out from this passage. So he kind of wants to get back. That makes Paul worried, that Epaphroditus is worried, that the church is worried. And so he just wants Epaphroditus, in a very good way, go home. Let's just put this all at ease. You did what you came to do. And Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. You see the apostle picking up this man and saying, he's with me. We're in this together. We're brothers in the Lord. He's a worker for the gospel with me. And and more than, he's in the trenches with me. That's how the apostle Paul sees him in verse 25. And he's also their messenger and minister to Paul's need. He talks about the situation that we've just unpacked here a little bit. And so he wants Epaphroditus. And so it's very likely Epaphroditus was the one who then took this letter and made the 40-day journey and brought it back to the church from which he originally came. Paul is showing to that church, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit working through this and making this word from 2,000 years ago applicable to us, he shows us that godly, Christ-like character is our pursuit. In, in, in our world, and this, this gets said so often, sometimes it just kind of goes over our head, but I, I want you to just think for a minute or look at your life this week or look at this past week, isn't it so easy to lift other people up for things not related to this? Sometimes we don't even know why people are in front of us. They're just famous. We're like, how did you get famous? Then we find them on YouTube and we're really like, how did you get famous? That's the world we live in. It's not unlike this. This is just human nature. The gladiators of the ancient world would have had some fame. It's just kind of human nature to keep our eyes focused on what's going on on this planet and not incorporating a heavenly perspective into it, but thanks be to God who breaks into our lives with his word, by his spirit, and shows us how to keep things focused on what he calls important. Timothy was like Jesus in the sense that he didn't consider his own interests something to be grasped and held onto. Certainly Timothy had interests, he had things he wanted to do. Paul tells the Philippian church, this is how I want you to live, all the way back at the beginning of this chapter, let each of you, verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's not saying, whatever we're doing, whatever your job is, you need to leave it to go be sent out by some full-time missionary like Paul and be, in, be, be somebody who, who works full-time in ministry. That's not what he's saying at all. And I love that. He never gets into the vocational conversation. Okay, to be like Jesus, well then, you need to drop everything you're doing and you need to... Fill in the blank. Go be a, a pastor or a missionary or, 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 or a street preacher or, or whatever it might be. Because the message of the gospel fits. No matter how God has wired us and gifted us, and no matter what our job is. As Jordan said this morning, all of life, we get to work. And this is where we overlap with a couple things and we see it coming out. All of life is worship all of life is worship. Everything we do, if we're doing it from a Christ-centered perspective, from a gospel perspective, then we can do anything that's moral, and we can do it to the glory of God. And there's way too many vocations and occupations and callings in this room to begin to unpack it, so I'm going to let you and your friends and your small group and the Holy Spirit work through it if you feel like, man, I think I could do a better job. What does it mean to live out the gospel, live for Jesus Christ in all I do? But I know one thing is if just on a regular basis, we just keep our eyes on him and let not only the ideas of this life but of the age to come permeate who we are, that's going to send us in the right direction. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, that we don't cling to things for our own good, but we think of the good of others. Timothy was a good example of that. Epaphroditus was a good example of that. He tells them, Epaphroditus, this is a man, because of what he's done, this is a man who's worthy of your honor. Who do you honor? Who do you lift up? Who do you see as significant and special and why? There are great missionary books, uh, and I I think those who have gone before us uh, in all sorts of spheres, Christians who have lived out their lives in a way that's faithful and commendable and, of course, never perfect, but there are beautiful, wonderful stories for us to read about. And to share at, at, at our dining room tables with our friends, with our family, just with ourselves to be encouraged. That's one way, I think, for us to do this is to look at the Timothys look at the Epaphrodituses all throughout the church's history. Take some time. Learn those stories. And then we get to emulate them. We get to seek Jesus and we get to be like them. Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul are examples and there's so many more that, the, that God has given to us as time has gone on. Here's another thing practically that we can do. We're talking about character here, kind of this first idea of character still a little bit. Whose stories do you tell from very recent history? Who story from this congregation in a good way, in a good way do you share at your dining room table with each other? Now, I know that gets a little bit risky because we haven't finished our races yet. So we're not trying to put somebody on a pedestal. But here are two men who are still alive that Paul has no problem saying, look at their character. It's like Jesus. How much can you and I talk about people who are living out their faith in commendable ways and let's lift them up especially for our kids it's easy to put down and put down and put down not not just in here but in culture how can we show them good examples and how can you and I work to be one of those examples not to get ourselves puffed up or put on a none of that seek Jesus seek Jesus seek Jesus and live out faithfully wherever he's put us And when we see somebody doing that, let's share that story. Character is the big thing that Paul puts in front of us. He has two men that he wants to tell the Philippian church. I commend to you, Timothy, you know him, and I commend to you, Epaphroditus, you sent him, and I'm sending him back. But he's got two other ideas that I want to hit here briefly. The other is worship, and I want to unpack that a little bit more than I already have, and the other one is missions. Because Epaphroditus, as Paul talks about what he brought, Paul uses a very interesting word. and it's this idea of, of a very kind of ritual, like almost like temple, like Old Testament worship, as Paul talks about what the Philippian church did for him. Look at the end of our passage here in verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now that word service also has this idea, what, what, you, what could be envisioned here is like a priestly role in a, in a temple worship, like formally bringing an offering to a temple in, in offering up to God. And he's saying, what Epaphroditus did was an offering like that to me. Now, what did he bring? Let's skip ahead. Look at, at chapter 4 here. And I know down the road, this is, we're going to focus on this. And, and so I'm not going to steal all the thunder. But if you're anything like me, hearing things more than once is very helpful. If you look at chapter 4, Paul is praising the Philippians for what they sent by way of Epaphroditus, and I'm just going to start at verse 10 and kind of move through some of this real quickly to give us an idea of the worship that they offered. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content." I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, through Jesus who strengthens me. Now, just, I'm not preaching on this passage. Somebody else will in a few weeks. But if I was going to preach on this passage, I might just say this little bit and this total side note. So follow along if you want. You don't even have to. I know how to be brought low, he says in verse 12, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, of facing plenty. He puts plenty in there as a challenge, just as he does scarcity. I know how to face plenty and hunger. Abundance And need. Because in our world, mine and and very likely yours, we're 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 way on the abundance side in the grand scheme of things. Do you recognize that as a challenge? Do you recognize that as a challenge? When Paul writes to Timothy, he's gonna say that a little bit more in First Timothy. I'm not preaching on that passage, so we'll just leave that as it may. Do you know how to face plenty and abundance? Okay, let's go on. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, Philippi was the city, Macedonia was the region, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You get the idea, this worship, what they did, this kind of ritual idea that he puts back in chapter two, what you did, Philippians, was you you worshiped God by providing something for me. And Epaphroditus lived it out. He brought it to me. That was worship. Everything we do for the Lord, because all of our lives, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is a living sacrifice. All that we do is for the Lord, and so all that we do is worship to him. But there is a specific thing he's talking about here, and this gets us to our last point, this idea of missions. In a way, we have a letter from a full-time missionary, Paul, and one of his companions, Timothy, to a short-time, short-term missionary, Epaphroditus. Now, next time, we, we, as we, our two churches, do missions together, which we are, I don't know who all is going to sign up when we say, all right, we're going to do a 40-day walk and when we, where would we get? Where would we end up? I don't even know. 40, I mean, we might end up in Pueblo. I don't know how, how, fast, how fast can we walk. <laughs> Fountain, if it's really going to be rough. We don't actually walk every day. I don't know. Santa Fe, Albuquerque, maybe for... Epaphroditus, kind of the short-term missionary. I don't know what he did back at Philippi. Craftsman? Farmer? Tradesman? Metal worker, cook, restaurant owner, who knows? Co-laborer in the uh, prison, Roman prison. we might be a little bit difficult to get away for a long term if you work for Rome, I don't know. What we see in this passage is a beautiful example of missions. And here's Paul saying, I've been sent by the Lord. And because the Lord met me, I am fully paid. There is no other payment that I need. It is absolutely amazing. I think what Paul is saying in chapter 4, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Some days he didn't know if a meal was going to come. Some weeks he might not have known if a meal was going to come. And yet he can confidently say, well, I am well supplied. Is that your perspective and is that mine? because again if we live in light of not just this life but all of eternal life what's a few days without food how glorious is it that you and I have the kingdom of God in part we see it now fully we'll see it in the age to come the city in which the light of God just shines, and I think the love of God just permeates where there is no sin and there is no sickness, thanks be to God, and there is no death, and there is no separation between us and our Lord Jesus. Fully being known and fully being loved We know we can experience that now, but admittedly, it's only in part. But there is a time coming that only gets better, brothers and sisters. Is that part of your perspective? If it is, that doesn't mean we have to go hungry. But how much can we have the attitude that is in Christ Jesus Not grasping to what we have, but letting it go for the good of others, for Jesus Christ. If Jesus was willing to let go of so much, how about us? The message of missions here is simply, we see a local church partnering with someone that God has called to keep moving, to take the gospel out to other places. We support missionaries who have been sent to a place to try to be these church planters, to try to build up and strengthen the church in other parts of the world, and that's what we ought to do. And as you and I give two missions, give financially two missions, It is a part of our worship to our king. It is a part of us saying, I am well supplied, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. So whether you come in here with 50 cents to give to missions, or you come in here with $50,000 to give to missions, that doesn't matter as much as us saying, Lord, I have everything I need. I am well supplied. I'm not gonna be anxious or worried about tomorrow. Yes, I'm going to plan ahead. I don't want to be a burden on other people. But how can I further and help get the message of a God who loves sinners way beyond our doors? That is the glorious partnership that you and I get to partake in with missions. Thanks be to God that he has put on the hearts of some to go and take the gospel out. And we, through prayer and the wonderful newsletters that our missions committee puts out, make sure you keep getting those, you read those, you put them on your dining room table so that every time you sit down, you maybe read about another missions worker that we support and open it up and read it and pray for them. And because here the praise is to those who gave financially, I have no problem saying, let's give what we can. Let's give more. Let's see how we can support those who are out there and see how many more people the Lord might want to send, short-term, long-term. Because I know our Heavenly Father wants to cover this whole planet with a message of who His Son is and what He's done for sinners. And I'm excited to partner with you in that and see what the Lord has in store and to celebrate. It's not always easy for our missionaries. We see that almost every month in the newsletter as we read through it. And we know right now the uncertainty that some of our missionaries are facing. It's hard. It's real. And yet, we can encourage them through giving, through calling, texting, messages, whatever it might be, however we can reach out to them, and by praying for them regularly. The Lord wants us to appropriately lift up those who are giving of themselves for the sake of the gospel. Timothy and Epaphroditus were examples here. Who comes to mind for you? And let those be the people that we talk about. All of our lives are worship. Everything we do can be gospel-centered, Jesus-focused. Everything we do, everywhere we go, and may the Lord have his way in each one of us and show us how we can just do that more and more to his glory and to our good and the good of those he wants to set free from sin. And let's be a people who enjoy the act of worship, of giving to missions. I'm excited as we move into February. At both of our churches, we're going to have Missions Month. I don't know that we know exactly what that's going to look like yet, but, man, we're going to celebrate the fact that we worship a God who wants the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the only salvation for sinners, the way, the truth, and the life to go out to all people. I can't wait to celebrate that with you and to hear again and rejoice at the many ways in which God is at work around this world, and you and I get to participate in that. May we be great at that and do that with all joy. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your spirit. I do thank you for the men and women that you have empowered, who have lived lives devoted to you, who are faithfully following you, who are examples to us. It's so easy for us to grumble and complain. Let us be people who speak words of encouragement encouraging each other to be like Timothy, to be like Epaphroditus, and appropriately honoring those who do that. Let us be gospel-centered people, living with all joy and giving here as the gospel goes out from this place and giving to missions. Thank you that we get to partner. We rejoice in all the work that you're doing in this place and the work you will do now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, Amen.